Hello. My name is Dr. Brian Gibbler. I'm professor of emergency medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine and president of MCREG International. It is my great pleasure in this discussion today uh, to introduce you to, to two major figures within the area of neurointensive care. Firstly, Dr. Galen Henderson, and Dr. Henderson is the director of neurocritical care and the neuroscience intensive care unit at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard University. In addition, we have Dr. Jordan Bonomo, and Dr. Bonomo is an emergency physician by training at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine and is a neurointensivist and a cardiovascular intensivist. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank Thanks for having us. Well, this is a, a discussion, a conversational piece, and, and you all bring very unique backgrounds to this. Uh, Dr. Henderson, you're a neurologist, also a neurointensivist, a leader within your field. And Jordan, you as well bring a very interesting perspective being an emergency physician and a neurointensivist. And I would like you all to discuss, if you would, how do we identify these patients that are particularly at high risk uh, for a secondary ischemic event after an initial stroke or transient ischemic attack. Could you first address that, Galen, from your perspective as a neurologist and what that means to you? Maybe you don't see them in the intensive care unit, but certainly as a neurologist, you not only are aware, but you're probably caring for a number of these patients after their initial stroke. Yes, thank you. So, so these patients are, um, uh, we typically see these patients after they've had some type of an event. Uh, that event may have been called a TIA, sometimes a small stroke. And I would like to diffuse the uh, definition between the two. And I think whatever's happening is one disease. Uh, the definition of TIA used to be 24 hours, uh, which was not based on any tissue. It was just based on consensus. Now we have tissue, we have imaging to help us realize which uh, uh, which patient really has had a stroke versus a TIA. So uh, now even with 20 minutes of symptoms, people uh, with the appropriate imaging, we may be able to see that they have actual tissue damage, even though they've recovered, and we will call it a stroke. Because I think all too often providers will say, oh, or even the patient may say, oh yes, I had a TIA and I dodged a, a big one. And, and I would say, no, that's still part of the same disease. Uh, if you're having chest pain, you have in-organ disease. Uh, if you have a TIA, you have in-organ disease. And right then and there, by this patient having symptoms like that, uh, they are considered the high-risk patient. And I think it's important for providers to remember or think about the ABCD squared score to determine which patients are high-risk patients or lower-risk patients and for those um, lower risk patients to put them on uh, dual antiplatelet therapy for a number of days, and also the appropriate imaging of the brain, as well as uh, the entire neurovascular tree, and put on a peripheral uh, monitoring device, uh, such as a Holter, for the least next two to three weeks, because we're finding out that um, more and more people over time, if the initial event can't be determined, they may have uh, AFib. And so we don't want to miss those types of things. And realizing that every patient is different 
and we have to treat them uh, as as different uh, categories of, of events. That's that's very helpful, and I I think from a neurologist perspective, seeing the patient after they come from the emergency department to you, that's very, very valuable. Jordan, will you talk about it from a perspective of an emergency physician that still works in the emergency department, but also in the CVICU and neurointensive care unit? Sure, yeah, you bet. Um, uh, I take a fair share of stroke call uh, for our our stroke team as well, and and we get these questions all the time uh, about whether or not these patients are high risk and what to do with them. I think as an emergency physician, one of the biggest challenges is recognition that the ABCD squared score doesn't actually do what we want it to do all the time. And in fact, the creator of that score was pretty clear to remind people that an ABCD squared score of zero doesn't apply to the specific patient, like the 21-year-old with a heart murmur and IV drug use who's at extraordinary risk of having a stroke if they have left-sided disease, um, but they're still going to score out as a zero. So clinical judgment still really matters, and your experience identifying patients who ultimately do poorly is uh is part of the, the heuristic modeling that we have to do in active clinical care. The challenge as an EM physician really is to figure out who's high risk enough that uh, you need to do something more than just admit them, and who's low enough risk that you're willing to try to play the outpatient game of roulette. Um, and that is where it gets difficult. When we don't see these patients again, it's really challenging to imagine safely prescribing dual antiplatelet therapy. I don't know what their home life is like. I don't know how safe they are. I don't know if they're gonna trip going up and down the stairs. When I think about uh, prescribing high-dose statins for these patients too, the same problems arise. I don't know what their liver function's like at baseline. I have a snapshot. I can't be responsible for that management long-term since I don't have a long-term relationship with that patient. And if I can't get them into appropriate and rapid follow-up, I'm a little bit stuck as to what to do because the guidelines all say high-dose statins are helpful in patients who can tolerate it from a hepatic standpoint. And you just can't predict that at ICTUS. It's difficult, honestly, and I think the majority of emergency physicians would rather take care of a lot of other patients than they would TIAs or um, patients who have these non-disabling low-stroke scores. Um, That being said, we really do rely on our neurology colleagues as outpatients for help and often acute stroke teams if they're available. High-risk ABCD squared scores, high-risk TIAs, they need to be admitted. The vascular workup is important. We know that if we do the correct workup, we do CT and geography in all of these patients, we decrease composite endpoint cardiovascular risk and death pretty aggressively, actually. So you got to start there. Um, Patients can't always tolerate the contrast. You have to do other imaging, um, carotid uh, ultrasonography, or even MRA at some point for some patients. So those, those things are challenging to coordinate in an emergency department visit. You know, you've got a, a really short amount of time with them. And the last thing we want to do is gum up our EDs with 12-hour workups uh, for neurovascular disease. Well, so you have particular patients. Talk a little bit, gentlemen, if you would, about the risk for emergency physicians that don't take care of these patients all the time. What is that risk of, of secondary stroke and death? for that patient that initially presents, maybe presents with a stroke that you described, Jordan, in your case presentation of a NINDS score of, of four, uh, that ultimately, you know, in a, in a 30-day, 90-day, one-year period, what, what are we talking about, gentlemen, as far as risk for these individuals if they're not treated properly? In patients who present uh, with high-risk TIA or what have traditionally been called small strokes, For the majority of us, we use a composite endpoint of five to 10% of having a subsequent ischemic stroke in the next few months. And those timeframes have been variably defined based on which registries you're looking at. But when we talk about um, an ischemic stroke, five to 10% in the first few months, or a major cardiovascular event, including death, 
um, those numbers do approach 9% in some of the bigger trials. It is not a low risk uh, event at all when you're imagining dispositioning these patients um, and trying really hard to restratify them. Uh, we still don't have perfect tools for it. So I think the number that I would suggest people use is five to 10% risk of uh, an ischemic stroke. Uh, many of those are major and that's in the next few months after uh, initial visit for TIA or low stroke score. Galen, from the neuro neurologist perspective, can you talk about the what you see when those patients come to you or you have to admit them after they've been in the emergency department in the previous month or th three months and talk about what how this uh, is impacting these patients? What do you see with that where they initially have a small stroke? Can they have devastating strokes after that uh, uh, down the way or death? You know, uh, the answer is yes, uh, they can, and sometimes uh, they do, uh, and that's what I want to pre prevent. Because when I think about disabilities in the United States, this is one of the leading causes of uh, long-term disability. When I think about dementia, I know that Alzheimer's is a big part of this, but vascular dementia is also one of the big uh, issues that we see with these types of patients that are having strokes and TIAs. So preventing uh, another event is helpful from a cognitive perspective as well as physical disabilities. Well, talk if you would, and both of you all can complete this picture. The major things that you think should be used on these patients, because it sounds like one is that you can't necessarily identify an individual that is at high risk. It sounds like it's over a group but it's high enough that it's up to five to 10% of patients. Talk about the must do, and in particular, there's been a fair amount of data recently with dual antiplatelet therapy. How important is that to be part of, uh, for example, high dose statins, glucose control, hypertension control, uh, lifestyle changes, smoking cessation, those are all there. What about the pharmacologic aspects that we can really impact in the field of emergency medicine? Yeah, I can, I can try to answer that briefly and, and say that I think for the majority of patients who present to the emergency department as a single snapshot in time with something that I'm considering as a neurovascular emergency like a TIA or small stroke, the answer is as an emergency physician, I'm not really comfortable doing the secondary management um, and taking long-term responsibility because I have no follow-up with these patients. We certainly have guidelines and safety recommendations for blood pressure control in the emergency department and glucose control, and we can begin initial therapies. Aspirin is reasonably safe to do, but the remaining medications going to dual antiplatelet therapy, including clopidogrel load or beginning a statin really falls outside, I think, um, the standard care for most emergency physicians. Doing the diagnostic imaging is critical. The non-con CT and CT angiography head and neck, if you can get that done, is really helpful because you'll find people with critical disease and you can intervene in the short term. But the truth is I'm going to send these patients to Dr. Henderson. Okay. And Galen, can you talk about it, not just patients coming to you, but but that primary care physician? Because in a lot of places, including Massachusetts, you know, which you think about having an enormous number of physicians there and particularly specialists, but you still have critical access hospitals, you know, out on the Cape or wherever, where you've, you need to work in concert with a primary care physician to make sure these patients are getting this therapy. Can you just talk about that a little bit to so our emergency physicians know and our hospitalists know that you know they need to be part of this care continuum? I, I think all of these issues that have been mentioned uh, by you and Dr. Bonomo are incredibly important and should be started in the emergency department because the that is the place where people take things much more seriously. Uh, and I think evidence shows that 
people are much more compliant with their medications uh, if it's given to them in the hospital uh, and they continue that medication as outpatients. So I think when we think about a, a majority of the patients that we see with neurological symptoms that we uh, assume or have made the diagnosis of TIA or stroke, uh, we get much better compliance uh, with that patient population. And it is something that's incredibly uh, important in reducing disability. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, this has been tremendous. Very much appreciate your involvement uh, in, this, uh, in this arena and all the educational pieces that you're providing for these patients. Dr. Henderson, Dr. Bonomo, thank you very much.